to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Hey, thanks, Aaron. And uh, I just want to add my little tribute to Brian. Um, for those who don't know, Brian was married to Anna, and they sort of really were so faithful, they carried the church through many good times and bad times here for nearly oh, over 40 years, wasn't it, Anna? It's over 40 years now. I've been here as so like the foundation. And uh, Brian said some, some really funny things at times. And uh, he was cheeky, but he just had this deep, deep love for people. And for a while, I'd be going around to visit people. Oh, yeah, Brian's just been. I go to someone else. Yeah, yeah, Brian's just been. <laughs> Wherever I went, he'd just been. <laughs> it was cool. And that's the man he was. He's cheeky, but then he got the job done. Yeah, I'm going to turn the light on Yeah, Just make it a bit brighter for me. And hey, look, we've been working through the book of Ephesians um, at Night Church. And I don't know if you remember uh, Nathan Shadbolt's little message last, last month. It was really awesome. And uh, he, he talked about the, the love aspect, but I want to really, really focus on that again tonight. And uh, I just want to kick straight off with a little story. With his hat on backwards and a cheeky grin, he said, you're with the church gang, I'm with the Crips. Well, for a moment, I didn't really have a pithy comeback comment for this young guy. Uh, who had just said those words, and because um, I was helping out at 828 Youth and had just challenged him about the direction of where his life was heading and when he said these words. And in his mind, life was simply a matter of choosing which crowd you wanted to hang with, and he saw that the church is just was maybe like just another club. And as he sort of said this comment in an awkward sort of silence for a moment that followed, my mind thought, wow, he's kind of, kind of right. You know, without knowing Christ intimately, the church is the most expensive club in town. <laughs> and suddenly it went from me challenging him to kind of him testing my kind of whole foundation. So I went home. I went home that night after helping Aaron and the gang out at 828 and I had a really big think about that talk I'd had with that young guy. I can't even remember his name. But isn't that cool when the Lord speaks to you through someone you'd least expect, you know? And he really, the Lord showed me that we need to know him really well. It's not just a club we go to. And there's got to be more, Right? There's got to be more than just fancy a fancy clubhouse and smoke and lights. Not that we've got those things, <laughs> but some churches have. <laughs> um, but you know what I'm saying, right? There's got to be more. It's not just a, a club. We're not a club. We're a whanau. We're a family. We're a living organism. We're the church. And hopefully by the end of tonight, you'll see maybe what else we need to add to that. Fortunately, there is much more that we could uh, ever imagine in knowing Christ. There is just so much more when we dig a bit and we 
uncover a bit more stuff and we have a, a real spiritual hunger for more in order to, to discover why we're here and how the heck we're supposed to live in this crazy world. Well, we're still in Ephesians, and in fact, we're still in Ephesians 5, which is the reading I gave Nathan, but I just want to really focus in on verse 1 and 2. Um, so if you've got a Bible or an you know, app on your phone or something, just maybe you want to look it up, check it out. And what at first appears to be just standard um, a Paul encouragement, under close examination, I'm sure we'll find that it's like life-changing. It's life-changing truth, just these first two verses. And it turns religion on its head. Because we're not into religion, we're into relationship. So let's read the first two verses of Ephesians 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Aroma is like a sort of nice smell, you know, not a bad one. Not the one that comes from the toilet at 9 o'clock a.m. <laughs> anyway, what do we learn from this? Firstly, whenever we see a therefore at the beginning of our verse or chapter, we need to ask why it's therefore. And so we look back at the last little few verses of the chapter before and we see that in context... Paul is actually referring to a bit of a dis dispute in the church at Ephesus. Yes, even the early churches had a few kōdiros and a bit of, bit of trouble. Um, <clears throat> so in verse 31 of the last chapter, chapter 4, they must have had some sort of thing that they needed to get over. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. So they must have had something there to deal with. And, you know, the first way to overcome this, this upset in Paul's mind was to imitate God. To imitate God. That's not something we do a lot these days. To imitate God as beloved children. You see, in Paul's culture, the culture that Paul, the writer of Ephesians, came from, to imitate someone was the greatest or highest honor. To imitate a leader or a mentor or a komatua. Many young students would be encouraged to imitate their teacher or their mentor. The way young people were taught in, in Paul's day, in Jesus' time, was to, just to follow to hang out with and to listen and learn from someone older and wiser. Paul even says, imitate me. Paul said that about himself. Imitate me. This was not unusual or rare. In this time, you would even be known as the disciple of dot, 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 the disciple of Silas, the disciple of um, you know, whatever the, 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 the guys in the temple were called, you'd be their disciple, and that was like this badge of honor. And the disciples of Jesus, the disciples he called, um, he, he 
They would have even seen it as a huge privilege to be even considered worthy of this rabbi's attention. It wasn't like, oh, I'll give him a go. It was like, wow, what, me? You want me? Wow, you know, and his old uh, Matthew at his tax table, he was a scum man. He was like the lowest of the lowest in that culture. And uh, he just saw it. What a privilege to follow this, this, this rabbi, this man. It was not only very common in that time, but it was also very effective just to hang out with your mentor. Just this morning we had a, a guest speaker here, um, Nitty, and she just poured in hours and hours and hours of, of mentoring into a young guy called Shane. And she knew she was to have someone come after her in her role as a pastor. And now Shane is pastoring that church. And she poured in that time. So it was, a, it was not only common, very common then, but very effective. These days we tell young people some, some weird things. We say to the young people, oh, you, you, you just be you. Yeah, yeah, you just be you, you know, whatever that is. And that if you just believe in yourself, just believe in yourself, you can do anything. That's a kind of a dangerous half-truth. Philippians 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And heaps of people leave off the last five words. And they just say, I can do all things. Full stop, not comma. And we can only do all things through Christ who strengthens us. It's a, it's a, that's the full truth. When I'm in the water with my ski rope on my belly and my feet on the rope and I say, go, I'm claiming that verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is going to hurt <laughs> if I get it wrong. I claim that verse often because I cannot do it alone. You know, many you know, good words for young people sound good, but, you know, Nothing beats hanging out with someone who's a teacher, a mentor, someone who can, you can learn from face to face. You know, confidence is one thing, but character is another. You might have confidence, yeah, I'm the man. I can do all things, full stop. But character is saying, only, I can only do things with Christ's help. Imitating God or a God-appointed mentor brings both. I have a nephew who runs a multi-million dollar company. And he is the most unassuming guy when you meet him. He's hard to read. He just talks really slowly. And he weighs up every word. He doesn't get too carried away with anything. And uh, and he is just so consistently even-tempered. He never, ever gets upset. He can have 50 guys waiting on the rain to stop and it doesn't faze him, you know. And you know what? The guys in the office want to be like him. 
They see Christ in him. And they want to be like him. And they start to sound like him when you ring up. They all sound like him. Because he's kind of like this mentor to them. The second key from Paul is to walk in love. The first one is to imitate God. second one is to walk in love just as Christ also loved you. What does it mean to walk in love? It means much more than just I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine kind of love. Or lust, more like it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do something for you if, I've, if there's something in it for me. You know, you, you, you meet my needs and I'll try and meet yours, you know. And that's so much of our Western culture, isn't it? Like that. I once, I once watched, watched, watched Blood Diamond, the film, Blood Diamond with an, a Zimbabwean guy. And it was so cool to watch it with someone from that area. And he said, once we got into it a bit, and they were kind of on their journey to find this massive diamond that he, the, the, um, the local black guy knew was there. And this Zimbabwean um, sort of hunter-gatherer kind of army dude was only in it. He only wanted to be with this guy so he could find the diamond. It was, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. He wanted to find his son. The other guy wanted to find the diamond. And my friend said, this is Africa. You know, I'll do this for you if you do that for me. <laughs> Tit for tat. To walk alongside someone who's different, though, or difficult, or ungrateful, or demanding is rare selfless love. It demands large doses of grace, and it doesn't give up when it gets too tough. I'll never forget what a crusty old elder at our last church said to me one day. He was often quite grumpy and didn't like change, and he was sort of unhappy sometimes. But he said to me one day, the true Christian stays and works it out rather than leaving when it gets uncomfortable. Boy, that sat on my spirit for a long time. Love isn't always comfortable. Sometimes it's darn hard work, and it takes real grit to keep going at times. When we shoot through, you know, we just do a runner, we, we leave when things get a bit, troublesome, we actually take our problems with us. Staying forces us to sort it out, as my South African friend would say. You've got to sort it out. You know, peace lovers are great at times, but peace lovers can be guilty of going silent when they should be talking things through and sorting it out. It actually, it's actually emotional abuse when you go all silent on someone. It's a kind of form of emotional abuse when one party just stops talking and the issue's not resolved. The Bible says don't go to bed angry. That doesn't mean to say stay up all night. <laughs> it actually means to sort it out. <laughs> We are to be peacemakers. 
not peace lovers. Did you hear that? We are to be peacemakers, not peace lovers. There's a huge difference. A niece of mine is working through a number of issues and uh, she's got some real, real problems. And another niece, a cousin of hers, just time and time again walked the beach, spent time, hung out with her. I just saw this as real love in action. This is committed, stay-the-distance love. Nothing in it for her, just being a friend at a time when it was most needed. The third aspect to Paul's getting-along recipe is to be poured out as an offering or fragrant aroma. A fragrant aroma. That's pretty nice, like wafting perfume. I've been really challenged by this verse that, that, that Christ gave himself up for us. I've been just so challenged by this whole thing about being poured out lately. I've been in Isaiah 58 and I've been reading it and reading it and reading it and it's the same thing coming through to be poured out, to give of yourself Wow, this is next level. It's next level love, really, to give yourself up. To give up what you have. To give your life for someone. How could I have missed this? To give yourself up was to, you know, in the movies I used to watch, it was to give yourself up to the cops, to surrender. You know, that was that was the kind of movies in the 90s. <laughs> but now I kind of watch more suspense stuff, you know, where you almost want the bad guy or the bad couple to win because the, the cops are after them, but they're not actually guilty. You know, that's the kind of movie I kind of like. Anyway, that's, I digress. <laughs> to surrender, to surrender is, is, is a big deal. And I've been scared. Stepping around this, I've been skipping around it. And now that I'm aware of it, I'm finding it all the way through Scripture. I'm looking out for this giving yourself up in love thing. I'm, I'm seeing it in Scripture everywhere. I'm seeing it in Isaiah 58 verse 10. And I've got no um, PowerPoint notes tonight, but if you want to write that down or just make a real mental note, read it. 58 verse 10, Isaiah 58 verse 10, smack in the middle of the Bible, just a bit after the middle, and I'm going to read it to you anyway. It says, if you give yourself to the hungry, wow, what does that mean to give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted? Here's the promise, then your light will be it will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday that's pretty cool eh if you give yourself to the afflicted if you give yourself to the poor you give yourself to the hungry your light's going to come on your gloom's going to be gone it's the best thing out for mental health yes yes Thank you, Anna.
There's not only a heavenly reward for serving the poor, there are great earthly ones too. But there's also a real cost. It'll cost you your discretionary time. You will be misunderstood when you love like this. When you give yourself to someone who can't give back, you will be disappointed at times. You will be talked about. Your efforts and your property might be used and abused. You will be falsely accused. Your motives will be challenged and you will lose some friends. But there's always joy on the other side of obedience. When we took on the challenge to Pastor HBC here, we thought our friends would understand us working every weekend and we would still be close. Turns out some are, some not so much. Posting photos of long extended holidays, consistently telling us to slow down and to just have fun. To be poured out means to go without and to be stretched past our comfort zones sometimes. You know, it's like a rubber band. Rubber bands are really useful, eh? When they're just stretched a bit, they're perfect. If they're overstretched, they break. Understretched, you might as well not even have it. God knows how to just stretch us just the right amount. He's a good boss. He's a great God. He knows not to overstretch us until we go ping. To be poured out, you know, means all of those things. Isaiah 58 is telling the people to fast. If we read the whole chapter, it's actually a whole challenge to the people of Israel to get their lives right, to fast and pray about injustice, to open their spiritual eyes to see the plight of those who are really downcast, really poor and afflicted by injustice. It's actually a, a whole chapter on justice. And does that sound a bit like Aotearoa, New Zealand, 2020? Yes. The gap is getting wider. There's more poverty, more homeless, more people on unemployment benefit. We are in, in, a, in a bit of a, 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 a trajectory towards a problem, a mass, massive problem. And I think prayer and fasting and caring does make a difference. I believe we are to co-labor with God in this. I was just listening to a little YouTube clip by an intercessor last night, quite late, should have gone to bed, but I got into this and I couldn't stop it. And he was saying, you know, people uh, use some certain scriptures wrongly, you know. They, they say, you know, um, whatever the government is, you know, it's God's appointed person because he puts everyone in authority and we can just sort of say that glibly when we're actually meant to pray for our government you know and he was um, pointing out a few other things that we sort of just claim when actually we've got to do our part we've got to work with god on this pray with god to god about injustice 
We can't just say, oh, well, he'll sort it. So he's wanting us to open our eyes, make a difference, pray fast. The question is, though, are we prepared to be poured out in love in response to the call of our beautiful Savior? We will be lifted up and our darkness will turn to light as a result of love being poured out. We have a great king who knows our needs and is faithful to sustain us. I can just say he is faithful. And after 50 years in the Lord, I have never been disappointed in God. He has always come through. There's been lots of trials, but he's always come through. He's faithful. We won't miss out. Quite the opposite. But we should love, regardless of the reward. We may not see it now, but it will happen. You know that saying? It may not happen straight away, but it will happen. And I just want to read to finish up with this little story from a book called Outrageous Courage. And this is a missionary girl who went out into some of the most tricky parts of the world. And here she is in Mozambique. Just a single girl in her 30s serving God. And she's telling about a few of her friends who showed incredible love. Bev, a behavior analyst, faithfully served with me in Mozambique for a season after completing her training at Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. You may be familiar with the five love languages. Bev displayed all five. Bev and I traveled from village to village, scattering the seed of the gospel and loving on Mozambicans in whatever way we could. On one occasion, buckle in, this is pretty raw, okay? On one occasion, a pastor's wife in a certain village asked us to visit a dying woman. We drove the truck as far as we could, but the road conditions forced us to stop and walk the rest of the way to the woman's hut. As we approached, a crowd began to gather, a common occurrence when white people show up. As we neared the hut's door, an unbearable stench greeted us, literally washing over us as we stopped outside. When we entered the hut, we found the woman writhing on the dirt floor in her own excrement and bodily fluids. Withering and dying, she was clothed only in a rag. The neighbors told us that the woman's name was Maria. Her family had already abandoned her. We found the woman writhing on the dirt floor in her own excrement and bodily fluids. Sorry, I read that bit. Her family had abandoned her and her neighbors had stripped her of all her belongings, anticipating her imminent death. Maria was barely conscious, severely dehydrated and in extreme pain. We did not know what was wrong with her, but she looked as if she were on the last stages of either tuberculosis or AIDS. Bev propped Maria up and gave her a drink from her water bottle. We prayed for her, but she was not healed. 
We so wanted to see her jump up and praise God. And we had seen it happen with others now and then in the past, but nothing happened. We decided to take her to the nearest town with a hospital. Maria's body was like an empty sack of bones. She probably weighed less than 80 pounds. Seeing her lying in a pool of bodily fluids and blanketed with flies, nobody had wanted to touch her for fear of contracting the disease that was claiming her life. But without hesitation, Bev scooped Maria up in her arms and quickly headed for our truck. When Bev reached the vehicle, a neighbor and I held Maria gingerly while Bev climbed into the back. We put Maria on her lap to make the rugged trip softer on the dying woman. Wide-eyed with amazement, the neighbors and pastor's wife watched everything we did. They'd never seen love demonstrated like this before, especially from a white woman to a black woman. They were impacted by Bev's actions that they immediately sought out ways to demonstrate their own love to this poor woman. Love is contagious. As we headed out, a few people grabbed some food and jumped into the truck and to accompany us to the hospital. Another person fetched a blanket for Maria. Maria leaked all over Bev. But Bev did not seem to care. The road was strung together with an elaborate series of potholes which made travel painfully slow and bumpy. Bev sat on the floorboard and leaned against the side rails, cushioning Maria from the rough ride with her own body. Maria's feces ran down Bev's lap every time we hit a pothole. Through the driver's window, I could hear her singing into Maria's ear as the sick woman's head rested on Bev's shoulder. Bev told her of God's great love for her, kissed her sweating cheek, and stroked her matting hair. Two of the neighbors stayed with Maria in the hospital, sleeping on the floor beneath the bed. Sadly, a few days later, Maria died. They transported her body home to be buried among her own people. The sight of Bev at that hospital will be forever etched in my memory. For me, she was a vision of Christ in us, the hope of glory. With Maria's diarrhea and urine streaking down her skirt, Bev smiled from ear to ear as she observed Maria through a window, resting in a clean bed in the hospital room. Plenty of people would have called her crazy for showing such disregard for herself and risking her own health. But Bev did not care if she caught a contagious disease and she was not moved by what people thought of her. She just loved people like Maria supernaturally as Jesus did. Jesus often healed the sick by simply speaking the word, yet almost every time he healed lepers, he touched them. Jesus knew how to heal their rejected hearts as well as their diseased bodies. Powerful, eh? So powerful. Do you still want to live an outrageous life of love poured out for others? <laughs> what a challenge, eh? Then number one, imitate God. Number two, walk in love. And number three, give yourself to others as a fragrant aroma. 
Jesus didn't mean us to simply join a respectable club and turn up when we feel like it. He did the mother of all outrageous things in all of history to actually win our hearts. Here's what Jesus did. He left his beautiful home and glory to be born physically in a smelly stable. He became a refugee in Egypt, learned a humble trade, walked thousands of kilometers in the heat, took on more criticism than Trump, ate with sinners, <laughs> touched lepers, hugged the hurting, healed on the Sabbath, was falsely accused, died with criminals and was poured out in every way possible for our sin, not his own. He died as us. So we can never legally be charged for our sins again if we repent. You see, you can't kill two people for the exact same sin. God poured out all of his wrath on Jesus instead of us. He did it for our sin. Only one of us had to die, and Jesus said it. Pick me. By being poured out, he became the most fragrant aroma ever and forever will be praised. Amen. Do you know the Savior? Do you really, really know him? If you don't, then today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Don't put it off. Give him your heart tonight. If you do know him, then be prepared to be poured out in love for others too. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for coming. Thank you for going through all of the dirt and the grime and the sweat and the blood and the tears. The misunderstandings, people's control, criticism. You kept going to the very end. You knew what the end was going to be from the beginning, but you still went through with it. So thank you, Lord. We just want to give you great praise tonight. Thank you, Jesus. You did it for us to win our hearts. How can we do that for others, Lord? You're going to need to help us to give outrageous love to others. It's going to cost us. We know that. But the joy on the other side of that is incredible. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you've given that promise in Isaiah 50:18 that our light will become, our darkness will become light and our gloom will become like midday when we serve others and are poured out for those you bring across our path. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church.